0: addiction is a serious issue and we take it seriously this is road to recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto
1: okay welcome to the show this is Yona you're on the road to recovery you're in the studio with Sophia and Corey, and we are going to do our best to share with you tonight which means you got to share with me too and the way you do that is 416-870-6400 or you can text me now at 647 647- 4880086 I'm the only one that sees it so you don't have to worry about sharing information and I promise to keep it to myself. So I hope you're having a good long weekend. I hope you're excited about uh, having Sunday and Monday and uh, well Sunday's off for most people anyway and then Monday's a holiday and for those that are uh, of the Jewish faith they begin uh, the celebration of Rosh Hashanah on Tuesday and Wednesday which is the Jewish New Year. So any of my friends out there that are listening and those that aren't my friends and are listening and you celebrate that holiday we want to wish you the very best Shana Tovah and uh, Have a safe and happy and healthy new year. So I got to tell you something. I'm pissed off. And uh, because it's my show, I get to kind of figure out what I want to say when I want to say it. I do have producers and people to help me. But, you know, I'm reading in the paper... You know, minding my own business, frankly, you know, it's been a rough week. My wife hasn't been well. We're not sure what it is. So I've been caregiving for her and running my businesses and running my practice and getting ready for radio and all that kind of stuff. And then I read in the paper that the ultimate selfishness, doctors grow frustrated as anti-vaxxers, protest hospitals. So I'm inviting you to phone me right now, 416-870-6400 or 888 225 Talk, T-A-L-K or 8255 is what that spells. You know how to spell talk because I want to debate with you. I want you to call me and tell me why it's okay for people that aren't vaccinated to get into the face of people that are vaccinated by protesting outside hospitals where people that need help may not be able to get through because they're blocking. I've heard stories of protesters blocking roadways where ambulances and those dropping off family members at the emergency ward can't get in the building or those that are attending treatment at other hospitals for things like chemotherapy or radiation can't get in the building. Like, you guys got to be out of your minds. You don't want to get a vaccine. Don't get a vaccine. I don't really give a poop, right? But if we're vaccinated and we're trying to live our best lives, And you're getting in our face because why? You want the law to change, you want things to change, and suddenly everyone's going to say, oh, it's okay. If you don't have a vaccination, you can come on in too. No, you can't. Not anywhere where I am or where my family is or my 95-year-old parents are or my grandchildren are. Stay away. We don't want you around us. Listen, if you can't get a vaccine because there's a medical reason or for some religious uh, belief perhaps, I know that that's changing, I think, in some, in some instances. I, I get it, sort of. I get it. But scamming a doctor to give you a, a, a note so that you don't have to get a vaccine. I've heard that. That's the new scam. Like, give me a break. You don't want to get a vaccine. Don't get a vaccine. But why do you have to gather all together and hold each other's hands? And you're the same people that didn't want us to wear masks. He made a whole big deal about masking and the same people that showed up in, at that, at the, at the barbecue guy's uh, place. And he's, we'll never see him again, I hope. proving that it's okay to keep your businesses open. It's not. We need to get back to some kind of normal. And we can't, while you're wandering around, making a mess, breathing your unvaccinated breath and spit all over us, not interested. You want to talk to me about it? You want to debate and tell me how that's your right? Give me a call right now, 416-870-6400 or 888-225-TALK. And if you don't have the guts to call me, you can you can text me at 647-488-0086. And I'll tell you what, we're on for two hours tonight. If you need to get the energy up and you need to get the strength up and you need to get the confidence up to call me and actually have this discussion and know that you're talking to the grade 10 Ontario debate champion, (laughs) in those days you wrote to school in a card that looked like Fred Flintstone. But listen to me. I'm going to leave the lines open. Other than the two segments where we have guests tonight, you're welcome to call me I will stop what I'm doing in the middle of the produced material to talk to you about why you think it's okay for unvaccinated people to get into the face of vaccinated people in a way that they're trying to make them feel bad or, or, or reduce their ability this is what dr. Stephen Fetter says he works in an emergency room in the hospital in Richmond bc decent guy he's running out of patients for people who stand whose stance against vaccines has a larger social implications societal implications sorry I'm just so angry I can't even read. I think it's the ultimate selfishness that individuals choose not to vaccinate themselves, he says. And I think they don't realize. They're too arrogant to understand. We live in a society where we all have to make sacrifices. You don't want to get the vaccine? Okay, I'm cool with that. No one's going to force you to stick a needle in your arm. Stay the hell away from me. Stay the hell away from my hospitals, my schools, my businesses, my restaurants, my movie theaters, my shopping malls. And anywhere else I might go. You think I'm being unfair and unreasonable? Perfect. Give me a call. 416-870-6400. And let's have it out in front of uh, you know 50 or 75,000 people that are going to listen to us. Am I clear? Cool. Give me a call. Love to hear from you. And really, I'm not a bad guy. But seriously, I got Mirak on the phone. Mirak. Hello. Hi, Hi. I'm Double Vox. I
2: believe the vaccine is good, but I support the protest for very simple
1: reason. Somebody has to shake these people who shape discussion. There's no discussion. There's a monologue. Okay, okay, okay. I, hang on. I'm going to cut you off. I get it. I, I'm with you too, right? I, I'm with you too. But listen to me, brother. I, I'm, I'm with you, too. I'm all for anybody who wants to, who wants to protest, and so protest in a reasonable way. But, buddy, you got to believe that, you, Merrick, do you, Merrick, do you believe that doing it outside of a hospital or outside of areas where people need to get medical attention, that that's a cool thing to do? I will answer you this question, please. Yes. If Mr. Trudeau believes burning
2: churches, he understands why it is okay to burn the churches, I understand why these people doing what they're doing.
1: Because well, you know what? You know what, Merrick? I'm glad you understand. But God forbid you need to rush anybody to the hospital and you can't get in because they're blocking the laneway where ambulances and people come in. Then you call me back and tell me it's OK. Thanks for making the call. I appreciate it. OK, let's carry on here. Uh, double vaccinated, but he supports the de- it's all about politics, right? You think Trudeau's actually paying attention? He doesn't give a poop. He's busy trying to win an election. Merrick, wake up, man. Smell the coffee. Anyway, let's get to something nice. When I went to get my first vaccine, speaking of vaccine, many, many months ago, way back when, because I'm a, I'm a frontline worker. So I was able to get vaccinated pretty much right out of the gate. Uh, saw a guy standing there in the recovery area, a volunteer, giant guy, maybe six foot four, 280 or something, wearing this unbelievable tie dye t-shirt with the picture of this multicolored bear uh, on the front of it. And I went up to him and I jokingly said, Hey, did your wife let you wear your t-shirt today? And he, you know, joked back and said, the Guy's a monster, right? Could have eaten me alive. Anyway, make a long story short, he tells me the story about this cocoa bear and the t-shirt that he's wearing is cocoa bear. And um, anyway, I so got into it. I found out more about Coco Bear. It's actually a Huntsville family that put it all together. Her name is Sherry Dubois, her husband, Jean-Marc. And uh, they lost their son, Conrad, to an addiction problem. And uh, he passed away in 2019. Uh, they took Coco Bear, his own design, and turned it into something really beautiful. As soon as we come back from break, we're going to talk to her. And we're going to find out how life goes for her and how she's doing, what she's doing in the name and the memory and the honor Of her son. We'll be right back. Yona Bud, 640, Toronto.
0: You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud only on 640, Toronto.
1: Okay, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. This is Jan and we're on the road to recover. We're uh, talking tonight about uh, all kinds of interesting things. The first hour is mostly about kids and the second hour just about life and some adult stuff. And uh, if you heard the, uh, before we went to break, we were talking about um, Coco, uh, Coco Bear, which is the t-shirt that I wear all the time and a bunch of little bears I have now in my office and all over my, my condo. And uh, the creator of that uh, program of Cocoa Bear Fundraiser is Sherry Dubois. She's on hold and going to talk to us here in a second as she catches her breath and gets the nerve because she's going to do great. But um, her son had ADD and he had learning disabilities. <coughs> Excuse me. Tourette's syndrome. He started experimenting with drugs and so on. Uh, heard the story many, many times. Anyway, uh, he wasn't defined by his struggles, though. He was just incredibly talented athlete and he was very handsome. <clears throat> Pictures of him. He's a very handsome young man and he was a very gifted artist. He created this Cocoa Bear. Uh, so if you're looking for it, uh, you should Google Cocoa Bear Fundraiser. Cocoa, C O C-O-C-O C O Bear Fundraiser. Uh, so when the family marked the one year anniversary of his death uh, with a small memorial, uh, Dubois, Sherry uh, used iron on transfers to create homemade Cocoa Bear tea t-shirts for those who attended they sold over 600 of those by now and i don't know if that she's doing it the same way but we're going to find out when we talk to her they raised a whole bunch of money and uh gave over five gave about five thousand dollars to mind aid muskoka which is a child and youth mental health and navigation and support initiative uh launched by Muskoka Victim Services. Uh, Wonderful woman, wonderful program. The shirts are ridiculously sick. You have to see them. you got to buy them. you got to order them. They're tie-dyed. They're sweatshirts and T-shirts and long and short and sweatpants now and all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, Sherry Dubois, welcome. Hi. How are you? Good. Nice to talk to you again. It's, It's kind of the same as when I just called you on the phone, right? Yes. Yeah, except there's except now there's tens of thousands of people listening to us. I don't want to make you nervous, though. Oh, don't make me nervous, please. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So, reading about the story, um, you know, kind of quickly, um, what you know, how did you come to this? I, I, I realize what the article said in the in the paper, but how did you come to it? I mean, did you did you stare at the bear one day and then just said to your husband, you know, we need to do this? Like, how did it come about?
3: So the bear was hanging on my fridge since 2015 wow! because it was my favorite drawing that Conrad had ever done, and the reason for that is because it was full of color, and I have lots of other drawings that he did. He was definitely a talented artist, Hmm. and his other ones were all just um, pencil, so just gray and black and white, Uh, pretty dark stuff. And but this one was just so vibrant and full of love and fun and so it hung on my fridge and his one year anniversary of his death was approaching and there were 10 of us because of COVID that were allowed to get together and so I went to Staples and I bought iron-on transfers and I went to Walmart and bought t-shirts and made 10 t-shirts and then pictures started showing up on Facebook and I started getting all kinds of messages from people saying how can I get one of these t-shirts and I thought hey this might be a really good opportunity for a fundraiser and so actually I probably have sold I'm going to guess over 3,000 shirts. Oh wow. I've donated twenty five thousand dollars to oh, my okay. Wow. and Amazing. it just kind of um, exploded.
1: Are you still making them by hand? Like, you, did you make thousands of these things? Like, by ironing them on, like you, like from the original ones?
3: Yeah, I cut out every bear and I press every bear on every T-shirt, every sweatshirt, every hoodie. Uh, the only thing that we get help with is we do. Um, baseball caps and toques and so we have these little patches that were made and so they go onto all the the toques and the baseball caps and um, that's one thing i don't
1: have to worry about yeah i need a baseball hat to add to my routine so the next time i order from you make sure i include that Uh, because i love going on the website and ordering new stuff because number one it, it it raises money for your cause and number two i like the stuff i get you know every single time i wear that t-shirt or wear one of the articles or, or somebody's on zoom and they see the bear behind me in my desk and my chair behind my desk um and they all say hey what hey can you stand up and show us the t-shirt for a second and it's it's a guaranteed exactly what you wanted it to be it's a conversation piece right
3: which kills stigma
1: absolutely
3: so if you wear the bear you care
1: Wear the bear if you care. I love it. That's our slogan. Where the bear, if you care. So we're gonna find you and I are gonna figure out some organization where we can stick this bear on as well uh, to something that someone else is doing to make this thing even bigger, stronger, and more uh, more money for all the stuff that you're doing. Let me ask you, when you're when you're ironing on the the transfers and you're doing, you know, you, I, I did that a few times when I was a kid for projects and stuff at school. Uh, it takes a while to get them right for sure, but it's therapeutic for you, right? I mean, just the the physical the physicalness of doing. Doing the stuff, the, the, the actual ironing, the cutting things out, and so on. Um, do you find that that by itself is, is rather therapeutic for you?
3: I think it saved me. I think oh. that, you know, I didn't know what to do with my grief when I lost my son. And I was so busy taking care of him when he went through his 10 years of severe addiction trying to, anything that we could do to help him and he, I know that he appreciated that and he loved us for that, but it was bigger than him. And when I discovered Cocoa Bear and the fundraiser, it was a place to put my sadness and a place where I could get distraction and keep busy. Mm -hmm. and finding light.
1: We talked about that together on the phone, finding light in a dark place. I think that's the line I I used on our communication to finally convince you to let me talk to you, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's very, very true. I don't know where I would be right now without it.
1: So uh, for those that are just listening right now, we're talking to Sherry Dubois. She's the creator of Coco Bear Fundraiser. Her son, Conrad, may he rest in peace, uh, passed away as a result of uh, a, a long battle <clears throat> with mental health and uh, related uh, issues and diseases. And he came to, uh, um, to um, addiction and, you know, whatever, just... Uh, Horrible story and, you know, addiction is just bigger than everybody, like Sherry says, you know, it's just bigger than he was. Um, so going forward, what, what does this look like for you for you and your husband? What does it look like? I mean, is it you and, and your husband together or is this kind of you and he's there to support you when you need it?
3: Yeah, it's definitely my baby. Um, he was my baby. And my so, husband is there with me by my side and he... Um, presses shirts for me when it's 90 degrees and I can't do it. (laughs) And he lugs boxes of T-shirts and sweatshirts from the car to the house, and um, he's there with me 100%. It's just my, definitely my baby, definitely something that I have decided that I need to do for now.
1: Did you, did you do any, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you're welcome to not answer if you're not comfortable, but did you do any traditional grief counseling in the process?
3: A little bit. We definitely had some friends and acquaintances in our community. We live in a small town, yep. and we knew people who had lost um, children. It's not the same as losing a parent or um, somebody who's lived a full life. But we definitely had people that were close to us that we could talk to about losing somebody that leaves us before their time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, for sure, all that stuff helps every little bit, every conversation. It's incredible how many people have reached out to me now with Coco Bear to talk about their losses. And I can do that to a certain point, and then I pass them on to MindAid, Muskoka,
0: Good which is you. where
3: I have given every last red scent to that we make from cocoa
1: Bear. So why did you pick them? Just because they were local, or did they play a role in Conrad's life uh, during the Better Parts?
3: Um, so the woman who started Mind Aid, Jody North, worked for Muskoka Victim Services, and they were definitely a part of our lives up until we lost Conrad. Jody North was working with them for years and realized there was a huge problem with navigating the mental health system, um, especially in a small northern town. And she decided to try and start Mind MindAid Muskoka, and it's pretty much blossomed since September 2020. Wow. Um, and I picked them because they were local. I picked them because they were dealing with people under the age of 30 because that I felt like that needed to be addressed. Yeah
1: yeah i would agree with you that that's a, an incredible market um sherry before we let you go here what do we what do we tell people how do they get a hold of um how do they how are they able to order shirts make donations and that kind of stuff you know, tell me how i i let people out there know to get a hold of you or how do they do that do they go to to facebook coco bear fundraiser or what's the best way yeah coco
3: bear fundraiser on instagram and facebook i am definitely old school i definitely do Uh, All of the orders myself personally, one at a time. So people DM me and we start talking and figure out what it is that they want. Um, It's super time consuming, but it's also a way to have incredible communication with people that are going through what we've been through. And it makes them feel like they're part of something.
1: Coco Bear fundraiser her name is Sherry Dubois I would love to give her a gigantic hug of course with her husband's permission I'm going to get up there one day to Huntsville and actually do that uh thank you for joining us and maybe you'll come on again uh around Christmas time we might have you and I might create some good uh, something good that we can talk to people about that we might do together so hopefully we can do that down the road Sherry Dubois the creator of Coco Bear fundraiser in the memory of her son Conrad a beautiful boy with a beautiful heart and soul and you can see it reflected in this magnificent artwork that you can wear Around uh, you know the house to work anywhere, and people are going to say, "Hey, man, what about the t-shirt?" Then you get to change and alter stuff, and maybe save a life. Yona Bud, six forty, Toronto.
0: Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on six forty Toronto.
1: So I didn't want to scare everybody away and uh, not have you call me because uh, the first conversation I had with Merrick didn't go so well, I guess maybe for Merrick. Uh, but give us a call, 416-870-6400-888-225-TALK uh, if you're calling from long distance. Uh, but uh, the conversation is open all night about this pro- or anti-vaxxer anti protesting outside hospitals across the country and uh, the fact that I just don't think it's anywhere near cool, acceptable, or reasonable. So if you think I'm wrong... Let's have it on, man. Give me a call. So let's move along here, talking about kids and uh, for this hour and and stuff going on. Uh, the, you know, the the for families, hospitals, kids, schools, everyone. You know, it's just it's so difficult to understand what's going on here and the impact it's having. I see it in my practice with you know thirteen to twenty something year olds. I mean, I see it with adults too, and that part of our business. But uh, in, in kids, in particular, the the they're so affected. They're, they're, they're not quite sure how to, you know, especially the younger ones. They're not quite sure how to express themselves. They're exposed to all kinds of negative conversations and hear about tragedies and Nana got sick and grandma died and whatever. Um, you know, the schools need to see that children's mental health and emotional health. Our utmost importance, and I know that they do, and 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 they have for years. And the guidance program, you know, when it's when it's fully operational and not strapped to the to the nines by cut budgets and such, you know, do a reasonable job with everyday normal stuff. You know, I hate my mother. I don't like the way I look. I, you know, my my boyfriend broke up with me. My girlfriend hates my guts. I don't want to go to university. My parents are this. My father is that. Normal stuff, right? But now it's really difficult really difficult to, uh, to explain to a kid how all this makes sense because you know what as an adult I can't tell you how all this makes sense my wife would tell you I'm not much of an adult anyway but but seriously you know so we got to come up with some creative ways to manage this stuff right so creative ways to socialize so the experts say you need to adapt quickly and and try to you know give children the opportunity to demonstrate their resilience and find creative ways to socialize and entertain themselves you know things like a Netflix party, having a birthday party, or some kind of just gathering or a sleepover attached to some format, some you know platform that's safe and appropriate for kids to play with and for kids to enjoy that they can do electronically, for, you know, by by uh, by Zoom or something, right? In some format. Very important that they stay connected. But even now that we're starting to socialize again, a lot of kids aren't in vaccination age. So the under 12s, we got to still be super careful, right? So it's hard to migrate to understand how to navigate all of this. So we need to understand things like early detection signs. The schools need to pay attention to these early detection signs. That means, you know, so the kids can understand how to maintain a steady pace of growth and, you know, do all the kind of stuff they need to do. School supports through counselors. That was one of the things that that we desperately need more of. Counselors and teachers, you know, in my day, you know, you had a guidance counselor in every school. I can only tell you, like, at least 10 times where they saved my butt and helped me through a lot of really difficult stuff. Made a big difference. I still have positive memories of my guidance counselor. And then things like important for schools to create a system where kids can connect with a counselor easily. I'm not sure how they're going to do that, whether it's going to be done through the, the TDSB or any of the other school boards, but Kids Help Phone, greatest organization on in, in the world to help children and their families. So making sure that your kids have access and neighbor kids have access to the Kids Help phone line, which they can text or call or reach in many, many ways. Got to make sure they're connected, that they're talking to someone other than just their friends. Creating workshops, this is things for school, these are things that we're suggesting that schools need to do going forward, right? Create workshops addressing stress management, the experts say working on challenging one's thoughts, how to distinguish between fake and real information, you know, exactly how I opened the show tonight about, you know, anti-vaxxers versus vaxxers. you got to believe that there's a ton of fake crap flung between the two groups to, to, to make their, their position known. Kids, Kids are smart, really smart. They know when it's BS or not. They know when it doesn't make sense or not. Even though we think they don't because we're adults and we know better, trust me, kids are swift. They get it. So addressing parental concerns about their child's mental health and their mental well-being. Schools need to be available, available when a parent wants to call and say, oh, I'm feeling really stressed right now. I know my kid's in school. Do me a favor. Just, if you can, just have somebody check. Make sure he's okay because I just had like a really bad dream or a horrible feeling. We're going to get, and then, you know, at one point that might have been the, oh, oh, Mrs. Smith is calling again, you know, the crazy parent. But now it's now it's the concerned parent. Parents are having a really hard time deciding between letting the kid go to school not going to school. You know, is it the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? We'll talk about it in a little bit. I interviewed a, a mom in my neighborhood. We're going to talk about it in the next in the next uh, segment. So, parents are having a hard time figuring it out. Schools need to be there for them so that they're able to mitigate some of the concerns and risk that parents feel they have when sending their kids to school if they're making that decision and of course they have to make that decision soon right they got to decide are they going to school is it going to be in school out of school it's, it's, it becomes very difficult when you have to make choices that you know you can't change maybe till february it, it's you know there are a lot of school boards that are that have different different mandated times for different things We'll get to that in a little bit too but here's how you know if your kid is struggling that's what's important you got to, listen, you can't leave it to the school. You got to pay attention, right? You got to, look, these are, the, these are the warning signs. I'm telling you what the warning signs are. Number one, these are all, not just me, mental health experts around the world will say the same thing. Sleeping. If kids are sleeping a lot more than usual and are having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, pay attention to their sleep patterns. I know it's hard. Teenagers normally have a sleeping issue, but we're talking about perhaps kids under 13 more specifically right now. This applies to everybody though. Eating or losing, you know, eating, weight, you know, eating substantially more or less usual, significant weight loss or gain, concentration, are they able to concentrate, are they moody? Come on, most kids are moody anyway. Not just having a bad day but like for a few weeks or more more persistent low mood. You see some signs of anxiety and sadness. They're extremely irritable. Cleanliness, a noticeable difference in their personal hygiene. When a kid isn't feeling, and listen, kids don't, like most kids, frankly, don't like to wash up or, you know, my my three kids, they love to shower and bath. They would do it several times a day when they were little. Uh, But, you know, a lot of kids don't like it. They don't like to get washed. They don't like to get bathed. They don't like to do that. But, you know, that's kind of the normal thing, Uh, especially boys. For some reason, they don't know that they stink, but they do. Uh but personal hygiene, if you notice that they're just not they're wearing the same clothes every day, uh they're not washing their they're they're, they're combing their hair, they're not washing their face, they're not brushing their teeth, simple stuff, right? Fashion it aty- to atypical clothing for the season, for example, your son your son or daughter is always wearing long sleeves, even during the hot, hot days. Maybe concerns for some self harming. You know, kids are smart when they cut themselves. If you don't know what self harming is, and it's kids when they cut themselves and harm themselves in ways that you can't see. They hide it under their clothes between their legs, under their arms, places that you can hide with a T-shirt or a long-sleeve shirt. So if they're wearing something that doesn't make sense, you want to figure that out. Socializing. They have less interest in spending time with their friends. They don't want to go outside. used to have all kinds of buddies and people they hung with, and now they're not hanging with anybody. Pay attention. They don't want to participate in any activities. You know, you want to take the family to Wonderland? No, I don't want to go. Come on, we'll have a great time. No, I don't want to go. Any their favorite sport, their favorite thing to do. Let's go get a burger at your favorite place. No, I don't want to go. I don't want a burger. It's unusual. You're looking for unusual behaviors, things that aren't normal. Academic stuff. Well, suddenly, what well, you'll see this year going into it, last year, most of the kids I spoke to said school was a joke. They didn't learn anything. They didn't learn anything. They, they have no interest in 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 anything because there was nothing to learn from. It was a waste of time. Most people, most kids slept through most of their classes. And so, so and, and social media, talk of hopelessness online, death, self-harm, sharing many negative thoughts, hopeless posts and stuff on social media. These are indicators that your kids aren't doing well. These are indicators, by the way, that adults aren't doing well. This applies just equally to anybody from zero to 100. or are 120 these days if someone lives that long. So pay attention uh, maybe not zero. You got to be old enough to at least, you know, have a voice and take care of yourself. So from three, four, five, five is probably a good time to start thinking that maybe there's something to pay attention to here. I'm not really a young kid expert. I'm more of an expert on 13 and plus, you know, over that. But anyway, notice, look for things that don't make sense, that are unusual, that don't fit for you, where you're questioning yourself, going, hmm, that's not my Billy. That's not what he normally does. And if you ask questions, just say, "Hey, listen, you know, I I just, I just feel like maybe something's up." And if you want to talk about it, I'm here because we love you, and no matter what, we're still here for you. So whatever you need to talk about, let's do it. Maybe start by the adults having a conversation about maybe them feeling a little uncomfortable, which helps a lot to make people, kids in particular, feel like they can share too. Because if you've got a vulnerable parent, they don't, they're not so much like Superman or Superwoman. Makes it easier for your kids to approach you anyway when we come back from break we're going to talk about parents that don't really have a choice they're making tough decisions on registering their school kids for school amongst this new fourth wave and i got a couple i got a story to tell you that uh, i think you'll find very interesting so go get a drink go do what you got to do use the bathroom go have a smoke do what you got to do in two or three minutes and we will see you right back here this is yonabad
0: 640 toronto Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto.
1: And it's around 945. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, your animals? If not, you need to find them. If you can't find them and you're concerned for their safety, you need to call 911. Or give us a call, 416-870-6400, and Devon and I will help figure it out, or Corey, whoever's taking the calls tonight. Not quite sure which one of our A-team guys are doing it, but we're all good, so there's no such thing as a bad call. You'll have a good time if you give my guys a call and share with us. 416-870-6400. I'm leaving the board open about vaxxers versus anti-vaxxer protests. Yep, you want to try me on, give me a call, talk about that. I'll put whatever I'm talking about on hold and we'll go back to that discussion because I'll tell you, there's no there's no reasonableness. And it's you can tell if you've been hearing since the beginning of the show, listening in, you can hear in my voice that I'm not happy about it. So listen, speaking of not being happy, right, we've got – Parents have a really difficult opportunity, really difficult choice in terms of picking opportunities for their children in terms of school, right? Uh, the article that I'm talking about uh, goes on to say, we don't really have a choice. Parents making tough decisions on registering uh, for school amid the fourth wave uh, with a clear understanding of how online learning operates uh, this fall. Many parents across the GTA are having you know, having to make firm decisions about whether to send their children back into the classroom. Yeah, sure they are, but they don't know what to do. And the fear is if you don't make the right decision, you're stuck with it. And we'll get to that in a little bit here in this, in, this, in this story because I'm going to tell you what each school board is allowing you to do or not want to do. But before we get to there, I'll just give you a quick uh, quick side story here. I live in a neighborhood. Uh, I walk my little guy, Siggy. Um, actually, normally my wife walks him because I have leg issues. But anyway, but she, she normally walks him. She hasn't been well, so I've been walking him and i was walking through the neighborhood there's a bunch of little kids that really like to pet him and uh... they came up and the mom was sitting outside i know the mom and the dad i've seen them a few times they're uh... uh immigrants here to canada probably the last five years they both work very hard they managed to buy a home and uh, lovely kids well-mannered uh, they've got a f- now six-year-old boy and a little baby i don't know how old he is maybe eight or nine months old uh... maybe it's a girl sorry uh... Anyway, talking to her about it. So I said, so how how about this back-to-school stuff, right? How's this back-to-school stuff working for you? And she said to me, you know what? I was pregnant with my kid, and uh, I was taking care of my other son, working full-time from home, and my husband was called back to work. She says, I didn't know what I was going to do. I wanted to kill myself. So she had a difficult time making decisions around what she needed to do. She said, my, I I raised my kid during the pandemic for the last year. I feel like a horrible mother, but uh, Cheerios, popcorn and Netflix, appropriate Netflix. That's what kept him busy because he's not, you know, he was doing school, but in and out of school, the kids ready to go back to school now doesn't want to had such a horrible experience doing it online that he just kind of turned off the whole thing. So parents are having a hard time. They're having a difficult time making it all fit. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a real issue. As soon as we come back, I'm going to talk to you to, uh, to, we have a, a guest here who uh, wants to chat with me. Uh, his name is Jim from Toronto wants to talk about COVID being a scam. Uh, no, I, I'm sorry, Jim. I like it. Thanks so much for taking the call and all, but I don't have time to talk about COVID being a scam. There's, there's no scam about it. I've seen people die. I've gone to homes to mourn with others. I've been in hospitals doing urgent care during my crisis work and seen people, uh, dealing with this stuff. Um, so sorry, buddy. I'd love to talk to you, but, um, uh, not happening. We're not doing a COVID is a scam thing. You want to talk about the, you know, whether it's okay to protest outside a hospital. If you're an anti vaxxer, love to have that conversation. There isn't a debate about it being a scam. Cause if you think it's a scam, you're either smoking too much, drinking too much, or you're just on another freaking planet. Anyway, let's get back to the planet we're on and talking about what's going on. So the, my, as I go back to the quick story here with my neighbor, she said, "Yona, I don't know what to do. She says, he's going to go back to school. I have no choice. She's now on mat leave for a little bit of time, but that's only going to last for so long. And then she's going to have to go back to work, and her husband's got a good job, and he's going to have to go back to work. So she has no choice but to send her kid to school. He's not happy about it. He's young. He's like, I don't know, six, maybe seven, So I think that's what we do here. I think what we do is we do the best we can. We send our kids to school. And I'm a big believer in what's going to come is going to come. You plan the best that you can. She doesn't really have a plan B right now, but I guess the fact that she's on mat leave uh, might make it a little easier in case the kid doesn't take well to in-class stuff. But – you know, and, and and you know, there's here's something I read as well in this whole story. They're going to be allowed to sing. Okay, here's what somebody said. Somebody, uh, what's her name? Her her name is Julie Steele. She's a pediatric nurse at, at uh, North York General. She's got a bunch of few kids here, uh, three of them, 11, 8, and four. Um, she says rec- they aren't receiving the best protection going back to school from the virus, doing relaxed masking protocols and no vaccination mandate for school staff. Like. If you're not coming to school as a staff member with ba- both vaccines, in my opinion, you're not coming back to school. You can you can be one of the teachers that works remotely and teaches remotely, because I don't want you in the class with my grandkids, and I'm sure a lot of other people don't want you in the class with their kids either. But here's the kind of, here's the kind of thing you got to deal with. This is what's different, the different the difficulty for parents where they're having a hard time figuring this stuff out because none of the school boards in Ontario have mandated that the staff and eligible students be vaccinated, though there's two TDSB trustees, Toronto District School Board trustees, who put forward an emergency motion, I think this past Friday, calling for either mandatory shots or testing for all staff. Like duh, at least the testing for all staff. We're sitting on tens of thousands of rapid tests in some warehouse. Who knows how long they're going to be good for? They're probably a year old already. I think we bought millions of dollars worth of them. I don't remember exactly what the number is, and I guess if I really wanted to find out, one of our production staff could dig up the number. But it's not worth it. it. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Yeah, rapid testing for everybody that hasn't been that hasn't been vaccinated at at the very least, right? Now parents that have kids in the TTSB have to make a difficult decision on which learning model they want for their kids not even understanding exactly what's going to be mandated by the ministry, but it's announced its guidelines for back to school. The Ministry of Education has in Ontario or that might be, yeah, after the ministry in Ontario announced their guidelines. So the people that are sending their kids to TDSB, whatever choice they make now, how they have to stick with it till February. So if you're sending your kid to school in person, you got to live with it till February. If you're sending your kid, if your kid's staying home and doing online learning, they have to live with it till February. So that means that parents have to make a choice between at-home online or online learning without knowing exactly what the board will implement, what kind of hybrid models, what kind of teacher involvement. They don't know what to choose, but they got to just pick one. Just, just, just pick, yeah, yeah, but I don't know what to pick. No, 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 just pick one. These are their kids, man. It's not like deciding what color you want to order your car in, right? So you get a different color blue and it's not the blue you want. Who cares? But if your kid's not doing well in class and you can't switch that to having them learn at home or vice versa and you're stuck to a deadline, a timeline, like I get that people have to, you know, that, 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 you know, organizations have to prepare. But we need to be more flexible. I don't understand in any of the government stuff that I've seen, in any of the releases that I've seen, lots of talk, lots of chatter. Of course, we're in an election. That's a whole nother thing that pisses me off. But we're in an election. So everybody's talking about stuff but we don't really care about the kids. It's evident over the last year and a half that the government does not make the right choices when it comes to what's good for our children. We have damaged our children, perhaps irreparably in some ways, many of them anyway. Suicide is up, self-harm is up, anxiety is way up, depression is way up, and anger, you know, anger issues are way up among school-age kids. Anyway, here's how different boards are handling the learning model, Okay. Toronto District School Board, the registration closed on August the 12th. So by August August the 12th, you would have had to make a decision on in-person or virtual learning. And the decisions that'll be, and they might have some kind of hybrid. But whatever decision you made by August 12th, you got to live with until February. There's one opportunity will be available to switch between in-person, and that will be in February. Well, God, man, that's a half a year. Toronto Catholic School Board, meh. Yeah, the registration for them was closed August the 6th. Parents can make requests to switch learning models at the end of August based on information they receive and can make requests throughout the year directly to the school. So not to the board, but to the school. So I like that. Catholic, uh, Catholic District Board making the right choices for right now. Peel District Board registration closed on August the 5th. Whatever choice you have to make, you have to live with until January. It's for secondary schools students that have elementary students have the option of in-person or online learning. uh, Secondary students, secondary school uh, students, have the option of in-person or a hybrid model called community learning. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that works. Uh, but that decision has to be made and lived with until January. Uh, Dufferin Peel Board, uh, elementary students can choose in person with their home school or just dis- another school. They can do, uh, they can go to a different school if they don't want to go to the same school. Elementary students, uh, who choose remote learning cannot return to in person at any point during the year. So if you choose remote, this is the uh, Dufferin Peel Catholic Board. Uh, if you choose, uh, distance learning, you cannot go to class. You, you, it's all you get to do. York Region, where I live, uh, registration closed on August the 16. The board offers in-person and hybrid learning options. Students who pick in-person and want to move to virtual can do so at any point, but will have to continue with ro- remote learning for the remainder of that year. Elementary students can switch between modes at any point, uh, at least, or modes one month into the school year, and secondary school kids will be able to change in November so a little bit more reasonable a little bit more sensible uh, but I'll tell you as a parent the anxiety levels must be through the roof very difficult for uh, parents to make the right decision and uh, anyway we'll be right back after the news we're gonna talk about ways to let go of the need to control it's the adult side of life from 10 o'clock on we'll be right back go do what you got to do this is Yona bud
0: 640
1: Toronto
0: addiction is a serious issue we take it seriously this is road to recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto
4: hey
1: there welcome back thanks for joining me so much i thank you for joining me so much thank you for joining me i appreciate it so much um hope you enjoyed yourself on a break had a little snack and maybe got some fresh air and settled in for the adult part of our show not the x rated kind of thing but it is an adult oriented segment going forward from now until we close at 11 because I figured that the 9 to 10 folks are probably busy checking on their kids, putting their kids to sleep and so on. So it's just going to be us adults chatting right now. So listen, I I really need to talk to you about um, letting go, right? The whole concept of letting go. And, and what does that mean? So the, I'm going to open the board to you. You can call in. Our, our, we'll take the calls from you right now. Of course, if you want to call and debate with me about whether anti-vaxxers should, in fact, be allowed to protest in front of hospitals and places like that because they don't want to get a shot, I'm, I'll am I'll drop whatever I'm doing as long as we don't have a guest, and uh, we can talk about it. But right now I want you to call me and talk to me about how you let go of control, or do you? And what does control mean to you, right? Oftentimes the path that we're so desperately want for us to be on is the most valuable or the productive one, right? But letting go of control means more joy, more freedom, more peace, more connection, and more support. So here's 10 ways that we can look at ways to control that. And and this is an article that was written by Lauren Stahl, and she's the founder of CEO and CEO of uh, Sparkite and I'm not sure what that organization does but this is a HuffPost um article Huffington Post article and she's a contributor uh, I like the article I, I like the way that it was nice and cleanly laid out so that many of us hold on to control like like we're holding on to ourselves on a roller coaster right we attach ourselves to outcomes push for things to happen things that we can't control so you got to understand that you can't control anything that's already happened right number one. Number two, you can't really control what's going to happen in the future because you haven't got there yet. All you can really do is control today. But here are 10 ways that you can learn to let go of your control and embrace, embrace what they call the art of surrender, giving it up, as they say. Just give it up. You'll hear therapists say that to you all the time. Just let go and give it up. You have to have faith. You have to have trust. So number one, they talk about imagery. So when you notice yourself in, in a control mindset, imagine trying to climb the deepest and steepest mountains that there are. Think about the amount of energy, time, and headspace that is consumed with trying to climb the mountain. This is control. Embrace the freedom that comes with letting go and not having the need to climb that mountain. Imagine it. Imagine just letting go, just staying at the bottom of the hill, the bottom of the mountain, not necessarily having to climb. Who says you have to climb to that mountain? Who says that this has to happen and that has to happen? You're in control. You're driving the bus of your life. And if you're not, you need to be. And by the way, if you ever have you know real problems or someone you know has real problems, you need to reach me, you can do that anytime by calling 877-777-5808. I have people that will answer the phone and we'll get connected and uh, and I'll get back to you. I, I do. I call people back every week that reach out and after the show and we talk about stuff. So if you're having a problem letting go and you need some help, I'll, I'll give you some direction and give you some ideas and maybe connect you with somebody that might be able to help you. Number two, write down a fear list. Control is rooted in fear. The fear of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. So we need to control it today. We try to control things because we're scared about what might happen if we don't. Not realizing, of course, that you're not in control. In fact, you know, like, for example, people are concerned about the control they have during the pandemic. Like there's no time to be in control. You got to go with the flow. Go with the flow. Set your goals in jello, not in concrete. If you got to change and alter, change and alter. I constantly have a plan B in my life. I always have a, a, a next thing to do or a backup plan so I don't find myself in that position. So the control that I have is over myself and my ability to be flexible and to make good choices and put boundaries around my choices. Write down what presents what presence means to you. Figure out this is number three. Figure out um, what it means to be in the present for you. Are you able? Are you able to embrace that with gratitude? Be grateful, and trust, and, and have some trust and faith in the fact that you're actually going to be taken care of. This will actually work out. Things will be good. Positive self-talk, we say in the business. Negative self-talk gets you into trouble. Positive self-talk is how you get over the difficult times. Number four, the experts talk about grounding yourself. If you're living in the future with the with that kind of control mindset, you're high-level anxiety. You're going you're gonna to be in a high position, high, highly prone to anxiety because you you got to ground yourself in the reality of today. So focus on grounding yourself, sitting in a chair, putting your feet on the ground, putting your hands on a chair, putting your hands on your lap, breathing for a little bit, four-by-four four breathing, right? In through your nose for the four, hold it for four and blow it out for four, four by four box breathing, ground yourself, find yourself in reality, makes it a lot easier, maybe take a walk, maybe call a buddy, maybe get out of the house, just get outside, sit on a chair, smell the fresh air, listen to the birds, number five, embrace trust, trust means belief, you got to believe in yourself and in others, number six, use of affirmations, they're very important, I, you know, an affirmation, for example, people say it in front of the mirror, I know it sounds corny, but it works, right, One of the affirmations is I trust that everything that happens is intended to. I honor and love myself is number two. Three is no, there's no need to be in control. Number three. And I'm thankful for the opportunities I've been given so far. Being thankful for what you have, not worried about what you don't have. Do the, uh, esteemable acts. Our, our uh, What's it say here? If we're, if, it, It's by doing esteemable acts that we gain self-esteem. So by focusing on doing acts to combat the need to control. Maybe it means cleaning your home, organizing things that you need to get organized, reaching out to a loved one or journaling, doing something that is esteemable, that works for you. Reach out for support is number eight. You can't get enough support these days. Support, support, and more support. That's what we're here for. That's what this show is about. That's why they hired me. Indirectly, to try to provide some support for the hundreds of thousands of listeners that you know listen into the show and listen to podcasts after the show and so on. We want to be here for you. That's what we're here for, 416-870-6400. You can talk to me right now. Just don't tell me that COVID's a scam because I won't take the call. But you can talk to me about anything. Now, after the show, send me a text, 647-488-0086. You're not the only one. You're in it. We're all in this together, and we all have to learn how to manage it together. Internalizing the notion that you're not alone, you need to understand that, that you have to trust and accept that we're we're all kind of working on this together. There's 8 billion people around the world. Trust me, you're not the only one that everything that things happen to. It's just, it's the way things are intended to happen for the most part. You got to kind of go with it and make sure that you're able to, to reasonably respond to things that require you know, activity and action, and for the most part, letting things slide that really aren't in your control, that that aren't necessarily in your lane if you're driving, so to speak. Stay in your lane. Don't worry about other people's stuff if you don't if you don't have to. It doesn't matter that your neighbor's sending their kids to school without a mask. You'll get over it. You don't have to control that. And number ten, I think the one that I like the most: make a freedom list. Freedom means surrendering. It means you're at peace with yourself and have trust in yourself confidence, self-esteem. What does freedom mean to you? Write that down. And remember, the need to control minimizes everything on that list. Make that list. You can call me next week. We'll talk about it some more. I'd be glad to chat with you about your list and how you're managing letting control go. So when we come back from break, we're going to talk about marriages and tearing marriages apart and something called cuffing season. So when I come back, I want to hear from you. Do you know what cuffing season is? Because I didn't until I learned about it. So call me back and we'll talk about it right after break. Yonah Bud, 640
0: Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yonah Bud, only on 640 Toronto.
1: And welcome back. Thank you for joining me. This is Yona Bud. You are on the Road to Recovery on 640 Toronto. And uh, we know you have other choices. I know you have other choices, and I'm glad that you choose us and uh, and the stuff that we're doing and hopefully you'll start to interact as we get to know each other a little better we'll uh, hear more from different people about different things but you know the conversation that we need to have we should have pretty good gir- pre- we should have uh, openly and talk about stuff that bothers us so that other people get the help and if you got over something maybe you can help your neighbor or somebody down the you know who's listening to this show somewhere in london ontario who could use some help right so that's the concept that's why we're here really appreciate you having you having you join us and you are in fact the greatest audience ever. So COVID-19 is tearing marriages apart. But before we get there, I want to ask everybody to call in. Do you know what cuffing season is? Cuffing, like to cuff like you wear a cuff on your on your shirt. Do you know what cuffing season is? not Because I didn't. As soon as we get through this article, we're going to get to that. But I'd like to hear if anybody knows what cuffing season is, because apparently it's a thing. But right now, Terry, we're going to talk about how COVID nineteen is tearing marriages apart. Like I'm sure people being locked down, not knowing where to go. I had a you know patient call me the other day going, "I'm having a really hard time in my marriage. It's causing me to drink more than I ever did before. We just don't see, you get away from each other. She's on me. I'm on her. We're constantly in each other's face. You know what do I do? Right? Um, constantly hearing from people saying, you know, we just don't get away from each other. There's just no out. We just, you know, we're not able to, 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 to get away from, you know, and do our own thing, go back to work like we used to and do our own thing, right? So it's definitely, cuffing is, uh, according to Sophia, who uh, works with us on our production team, she says it's a millennial thing. So I'm looking for millennials on your way to the bar or wherever you're going tonight, patioing. I hope, to tell me if you understand what cuffing is because uh, we can talk about that. But this pandemic is really making it difficult for people, right? It's really making it difficult for people. And um, there's a variety of factors that are are adding to it. So obviously being stuck at home with school-age kids, stuck at home with college-age kids are just stuck at home while work was suspended and offices were closed. It made it very difficult on marriages. People were stuck at home while unemployed and had financial distress. That's a real stressor on a marriage. If you haven't had that experience, I can tell you. It can be very difficult when you're trying to figure out how to pay the bills and you don't get along. Uh, stuck at home with normally quiet spouse who suddenly turned into a chatterbox. <laughs> so I guess a little tongue in cheek. If you're stuck at home with a spouse who has more time to point out all the things that you're not doing well or you're not pulling your weight. Stuck at home in an abusive relationship. That's a real thing. Kids Help Phone is constantly getting calls from kids who are listening to their parents fight and argue like never before. They just don't know what to do. People don't know how to turn. They're so frustrated. Everyone's so frustrated. You know, it would, have, it would have been, you know, stuck at home, period, is difficult for people under any kind of situation. But in an abusive relationship where you, you, don't, you can't leave, and if you leave, you have to come back. When you come back, you know, you don't know what kind of person you're going to walk into, whether it's the angry one or the one that loves you that day. If you're stuck at home, period, or in the case of essential workers that are not stuck at home but are dealing with many of the same issues that we have but still have to go to work, in, the, in the, uh this article talks about American statistics, but we have similar ones here in Canada. Uh, something unexpected happened on the way to divorce court, at least in five states, Arizona, Florida, Missouri, New Hampshire, and Oregon, where divorce statistics are published monthly. Many couples decided to hold off on plans to part their ways. Positive, right? There were some reported upticks of couples interested in divorce, about 34% upswing uh, in April 2020, but seems to be mellowing out, kind of leveling out, not as big a deal. But it's a very difficult time for people, very difficult time for relationships. You know, people are looking at uh, more family lawyers are being consulted. Uh, people are talking to, uh, you know, the therapists and clergy and those that they reach out to for help about what to do. Because, you know, you can hide the stuff that doesn't work by being gone most of the day. You know, and if hubby comes home a little buzzed after having a drink on his way home from work, or if, you you know, if, if the missus... You know, has comes home and does a, a thing like uh, you know goes out with her friends or, or her colleagues after work for for a sandwich and a coffee or a beer or whatever, and and it, chance to unwind. But there's no unwinding if you're stuck at home. There's no unwinding. There's no getting away from the office. You know that drive to and from. The office, too, you know, we opened the facility and called the farm in Stouffville. It's a residential mental health and treatment center, uh, which we, we co founded and I'm the clinical director of. It's in Stouffville and I live in Thornhill. My drive from Thornhill to Stouffville is beautiful, winter or summer. It's magnificent. The roads are easy. I take the side roads. It's great. Without that, without that trip, when I stopped going to the farm for a year and a little bit because of their. Lockdown and I wasn't properly vaccinated at that point. My wife is um, is in high risk and so on in terms of immunocompromised and so on. So I wasn't going, I really missed the drive. So just being separated for a little while can somehow be enough to keep your marriage together. When you no longer have that separation, you have to really look at each other, which means you have to fall in love maybe all over again or start to understand each other all over again. And that's okay. It's actually a really good time to rekindle your relationship. It's a really good time to take that walk-down time and do stuff you might not have had time to do before. You know, the kids are already used to keeping themselves busy now. You can stick them in front of the TV with something nice to eat and, you know, you can find an hour where you and your, you and your spouse can maybe sit outside and chit-chat and have a coffee or a glass of wine or whatever you can do, you know, safely and properly and adequately without getting into trouble. Anyway, we have John Foot from Erie. He's an anti debate. He wants to know what the consensus is. John from Fort Erie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm not sure about the question, my brother. Anti-facts debate wants to know what the consensus is. What's the question exactly, my friend?
5: Well, I, I guess when I was when I was talking to your call screener, I, I was just uh, I had just heard that you were having a conversation tonight. Sorry, I wasn't tuned in, so That's okay. uh, I didn't catch I didn't catch the conversation, but. You know, I just wanted to say this evening that uh, you, you know this the, the whole argument of, or or the the using of the term anti-vaxxed I think is very disingenuous because there's there's a lot of people that are protesting not not the vax, but but the passports that are being rolled out all over the place and and um, I've, I've just read a lot of people you know I follow a lot of people on Twitter and and a lot of people uh, have stated you know I'm I'm double vaxxed and I'm 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 still against this so. You know, to paint a movement, you know, all with a broad brush, I don't think it's helpful to the conversation. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I I would agree with you. And and listen, I I think that there's a conversation to be had about the passport. I think there's – listen, I'm open to debate on both sides. I'm I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I mean, I'm obviously double-vaxxed. I'm a frontline worker. I work in emergency care most of the time, and, you know, I have a wife who's uh, in – recovered – You know, fortunately, from cancer, but is immunocompromised after the treatments and the radiation and so on. So, you know, for me, it's not really an option. But I've got surgery planned here for the twenty third of September, and I'm 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 afraid of what's happening because the 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 kind of the kind of uh, protesting that we're seeing, John, they're outside hospitals. Like, okay, go to a park. You want to make yourself known, but you know, messing with hospitals and people coming in and out of hospitals—that's where the—that's where I think the. I mean, even the gangsters. And even the, the, the gangland guys don't, don't mess around hospitals and places where people need to help. So that was when you missed the conversation. And thank you so much for joining in now. But, um, you know, the, the conversation was that what I, what I was upset from about in the beginning, what I was, what upset me was that if you want to debate this thing, debate it, but don't protest in front of hospitals, keeping people from getting the care they need just because you don't want to get the care. Right. And the passport. Another discussion. We can have that another day. But um, so, how do you think? Do you think that's fair? Do you think it's reasonable to just, you know, get 50, 60 people in front of St. Mike's Hospital and block all the entrances and start screaming anti-vaxxing type stuff? Does that make sense to you? Well,
5: well I, I, you know what? I've not, seen, I've not seen evidence of that, and I'm not saying it doesn't exist. And, and the other thing that we have to remember, too, is that, um, you know, one of the things that I think that if you're going to protest, that your protest ought to be uh, somewhat uh, relevant and, and, and a health. A uh, vaccine protest, or a back, back, or sorry, a vaccine pro, uh, passport protest, uh, is 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 going to be relevant in in the venue in which it's being uh, um, instituted or forced upon someone. Right. So right. now, if there's bad actors there, there's always going to be bad actors there and and if i if I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that there were bad actors you know just to discredit the movement you, you know like, exactly exactly i i know i know people that that go to these protests i've i've seen them i've talked to them some of them are friends of mine and and none of them strike me as as people that would do anything like that so i i'm very suspect when i hear these reports of oh they wouldn't let people into the hospital only a only a, a monster wouldn't let somebody in the hospital to get treatment and and that's not what i see you know from from dealing with uh people you know of this if you want to call it from, of this persuasion so uh you know when when i hear stuff like that it just it makes me suspect right away just because all kinds of mechanisms are used to discredit a, a message when when you don't agree with it right so that's that's all I was saying earlier. Is you know, it, 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 I, I've seen it so many times in the news. Anti-vaxxers protesting. You know what? There's lots of people there that have been double-vaxxed like yourself, that yeah. that are protesting because they don't believe anybody should be forced into a, a medical treatment against their own will. So.
1: Oh, let me make it very clear before I let you go, my brother. Uh, I don't, I don't want to force anybody to do anything, but just stay the hell away from anywhere I'm going to be where I need to go and breathe and spit on me in in, in a rally type environment where you've got 50 or 60 people not wearing masks and not taking, not being vaccinated. You know, that'd be a cluster for this kind of stuff. I have been in hospital. I have seen people die from COVID. I know it's real. It's not, it's not BS. So, you know, the vaccine versus unvaccinated, I'm with you. Everybody gets to make a choice, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to run around, you know, displaying it and, and being in somebody's face. Um, you know, you want to make them get a message to government, protest in front of government buildings. Just stay the way from, stay the hell away from the hospitals. Thank you so much for John, for calling John. Hopefully you'll listen in, uh, for future shows and we can talk again because, uh, you sound like a smart guy with it's got his head on, on right and, uh, love to hear from you. As Soon as we come back from break, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk about this cuffing, uh, cuffing, uh, cuffing stuff a little bit just because I just thought, found it was really interesting. It's kind of how people identify, um, their relationships. I think I can get Sophia to join us here because she seems to understand this stuff um, a little bit. So come back from break. We're going to talk about this stuff some more. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll share 416-870-6400 is how you call me. We'll be right back. Yona Bud six forty Toronto.
0: Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on six forty Toronto.
1: And thank you for, thank you for joining us tonight. This is the road to recovery. I'm Yona Bud, your host, and we're so excited to have you join us. Uh, we're talking about cuffing season. We're asking us to people to call in us, calling in us. Mm. Quite an evening. We're asking those to call us and let us know how you feel and, uh, what cuffing means to you. Is it something that you understand? Something you're familiar with? 416-870-6400. Sophia, who is a millennial and my friend and a off awesome production operator and works with us on our team here. Sophia, talk to me about cuffing. I, I, I understand it's something where you, know, you define your relationship, you kind of figure out what you're going to do ahead of the winter so you know who you want to snuggle with. Is, is that kind of the simple term of it or I don't have it at all?
4: Thank you, Yona. Um, just a quick correction. I am not a millennial. I am a Gen oh. Z.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Well,
4: there's a little bit of drama between the millennials and the Gen Z, so I just <laughs> want to make it very clear. Um, just don't
1: protest. Just don't protest outside my hospitals.
4: Will do. But okay. um, yes, essentially, cuffing season is where there's like this race to get into relationships almost going into the winter, especially right. in areas where the climate is a little more difficult around the winter time, because okay. nobody wants to be going out a lot during the winter it's cold you know you don't want to wear like certain clothes that you would normally wear going out a lot of that stuff is made for the summer and it just becomes a hassle so what people will do is they'll go kind of on a on a hunt for a relationship before the winter season so that you can spend those cozy nights in and then you don't have to worry about it and then typically those types of things fall apart around like April, May, when it starts to get a little warmer. (laughs) So that's kind of what cuffing season is.
1: So you're telling me it's a seasonal relationship that is somewhat based on the bears need to hunt and gather food for the winter. So when they're hibernating, um, you know, it's... uh, you know, it, it, it's very, uh, it's interesting, right? It's like, it's like storing away a relationship to get you through the winter. And then when the weather, nice night, night, night weather comes in, you can wear the stuff that you really want to wear that makes you look great. Nah, I don't really like him so much. Or I don't really like her so much. Kind of interesting. Hey, eh? we'll come, we'll come back to this in a minute. We've got, uh, Ati who's on the phone and he's taking us up on our being double vaxxed. He says, won't make a difference. Ati, thank you for calling. How are you? Yeah, fine, thank you.
2: Take, uh, letting me to come on and speak my, what I like to say to the people. Uh, in Israel, uh, uh, uh Dr. Uh, Kobe Khabib is the head of the chief uh, doctor of the hospital in Israel in Jerusalem. is called Herzog. He has yep. a video and a big article on the uh, on, uh, Internet saying that uh, 85% of the people that come into the hospital are uh, sick with the COVID-19 or the variation, whatever. There are people that are double vaccinated. So, uh, and you know, David uh, Netanyahu, he was the first uh, prime minister that did uh, mandatory vaccine to all yep. the people yep. in Israel. Yep.
1: yep. Yeah, I understand
2: you still there? They're still getting sick. Uh, they're still dying from that. So, uh, I, I. Well, for, well okay. So, that, I. So, uh, so, uh, so the okay. difference between Canada and Israel that we are a democratic country. Israel is not democratic as Canada. And uh, we have the freedom of rights, freedom of the human right, and this, uh, this discrimination and freedom of speech.
1: Okay. So, so. Adi, I'm gonna cut Adi, I'm gonna cut in on you for a second here, okay? And are you there? Can you still hear me? Okay, okay, you're 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 days. you're uh, Adi Ati 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 Can you hear me? Yeah, she can't seem to hear me. We're going to have to let her go. Um anyway, well, uh, thank you so much for calling out to you. I appreciate the call. Uh I can tell you that uh 83% of the people that are in hospital here in Ontario um uh, are people without vaccines. Uh the majority of the people that are dying and are sick do not have vaccines and um you know, we are uh, we are in a situation here where uh if you can get it and you're not opposed to it, I think it's a great idea. So thank you so much for calling. I appreciate her calling and sharing with us. But uh, we just couldn't hear her very well. It wasn't a great connection. So going back to cuffing, you know, Sophia was mentioning, it's kind of like gathering a relationship going into the future uh, so that you have something lined up uh, to keep you busy. Um, There's a person here with cuffing season, a term to describe relationships people seek out in the fall, as we talked about, Yuri, who is a a fellow here, uh, DTR, uh, DTR is what you call defining the relationship. DTR, uh, the conversation helps you get aligned and protects you from falling into a, a situationship and undefined romantic relationship. So psychologists describe this two ways. Couples transition into the next stage of a relationship, declining or sliding, or deci- deciding or sliding. Deciding means making inten- intentional choices about the relationship transitions. And those who slide slip into the next stage without giving out, giving it much thought. So I don't know. Are you looking to gather somebody to keep you warm for the winter? I've already got somebody to keep me warm for the winter, but I know some people who are looking for friends. And if you're looking for friends, you know, how do you do that? So Sophia, can I get you back on here? I know, I know that's not something. uh, Yeah. Hello. I know it's something that you don't necessarily subscribe to, but how, like, how do you, how do you do this? Is this like a a Tinder type thing where you're looking for people to match with that you think would make good winter cuddlers? So maybe, you know, in your case, uh, I assume it's, um, you know, you're looking for a guy that's maybe a little snugglier, a little cuddle, cuddlier, a little heavier in the belly to keep you nice and warm, and a nice beard, like a bigger guy, the smaller, like what do you, what does somebody look for in a winter cuddle partner?
4: Well, it could be like you said, something that happens on the apps, but it could also be kind of in that article you quoted that mentioned it. Sometimes people kind of rush into that next stage of their relationship during cuffing season because. It's, again, kind of just a hassle to be going out during that time. So you might have folks moving in together who otherwise weren't really at that stage. of The relationship's pretty new, but we're going into the winter, going out doesn't sound appealing. Having a partner that lives with you, cozy dinners, that kind of thing, that suddenly sounds appealing. Guess who's living with you now? So it extends beyond like the hunt for a partner and also it, it impacts the decisions that you make within your relationship.
1: Yeah. So we had a lot of that. I, I don't know if you, uh, we weren't around together. We weren't working together in the beginning of the pandemic, but, um, you know, I was working somewhere else and had another late night show and we were getting all kinds of conversations about people that, you know, had met and, you know, you know, she, she was, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the two was, uh, uh, lockdown. The other one was locked down. They kind of met, they, they met socially distanced. They decided to get together. They both had their COVID tests and do whatever tests people do these days to make sure they're safe to be together. And, And, you know, ended up after like a month of just hanging out a little bit going, you know, well, I'm alone and you're alone. Why don't we just live together? And like you say, bingo, next thing you know, you got to live in a relationship that maybe under other circumstances you might not have. Problem is, how do you get out? The same way you would
4: always get out. Have you you ever broken up with anybody? I have, yeah.
1: Is it devastating?
4: Uh, It depends. I I think you have to look at it as... You know, you're not letting the person go or breaking up with them or that kind of thing. You're just both moving on to things that are better for you.
1: So the only time I've ever, I've done that in my past and I broke up with lots of people and had been broken up with many times as well. It's hard to believe, but yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I was never, it was never easy and we could never be friends after what's this friends after thing? Like people are actually buddies and like hang out after they've been together for a year or two and, and they, and they, and they still like each other. I don't, I don't know. I've never been able to make that work.
4: Oh no, neither have I.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if you've been having a summer romance that you're not sure will transition into this new season, God, I love having her on the show. She's just so amazing. My whole team is just outrageously excellent um anyway to have the conversation brings it up when you like to feel you're ready to stop seeing other people and would feel comfortable making it official so it's all about having a conversation here's some tips be clear with the other person about what you really want be specific about what you need out of the relationship and have a conversation about that be clear about your labels where do you fit with labels and know if you know this is going to be sexually exclusive i mean these days i think it's kind of Silly not to be right, especially with all the other things you got to worry about. Anyway, um, how do you handle the DTR, the, the that that discussion? That's how it's going to impact your relationship going forward. But if you don't think you're going to get the answer you're looking for, make sure that you're sharing in a way that you don't end up with either providing disappointing news or getting disappointing news and having to live with that um, in some way. That um, make make it difficult, especially like Sophia says, and maybe if you're living together already, but it's not the person you really want to settle down with. That's kind of may- maybe make it more difficult. But if you're looking for uh, you're looking for a new friend, you got to get out there and hunt for one. As soon as you come back, talking about hunting, there's some amazing animals out there that help those uh, that trap and, and catch animals in a safe and healthy way. But pet owners. We talk about pet owners and how they go go back to work without leaving their dogs and animals at home, all stressed out. We're having an expert coming on. His name, I think, is Saji Denenberg, and uh, he's a veterinarian psychiatrist at the Tor- at North Toronto Veterinarian Behavioral Specialty Clinic, um, and he's actually joining us tonight, late night on a Saturday long weekend. So I love the guy. Looking forward to the conversation. We'll be right back. Yonabud, six forty. Toronto.
0: Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Budd, only on 640 Toronto.
1: And welcome back. This is the last segment of Road to Recovery here for this Saturday night. We thank you all for joining us and being a part of the show. Really interesting segment coming right now. Um, I am a pet owner, um, and I do have a little uh, doggy. He's a therapy dog. He works with me and with my patients as well. He's my therapy dog, actually, for my anxiety. And um, a lot of articles that I've been reading over the over the last week or so about fam, about people that have adopted animals during the, co- during the pandemic. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of uh, There's a shortage of animals to uh, rescue animals to be adopted. There's a pet food food makers are having a hard time keeping up with the demand. Lots of people want animals. They think it's wonderful. It's great. Uh, They're walking them every day to keep you know keep themselves occupied and so on. Then boom! All of a sudden, we're going back to work, and these little guys, they've been relying on us being at home all the time. And you know whether you're leaving the house for a couple of hours or leaving the house for the day, um, a lot of people are having a hard time with their animals and coming back to facility to, to their their houses and their apartments being destroyed by what are very anxious and upset uh, animals. In this case, mostly dogs are the stories that I hear. Uh, we have a guest with us tonight. His name is Saji Denenberg and he is a uh, veterinary psychiatrist, which I think is just so wickedly cool. Anyway, he's with the North Toronto Veterinarian Behavioral Specialty Clinic. Take their number down, 905. 905- 881-2752. These are the people you need to call if you're having issues with your animals and you're not quite sure what to do. Before you decide to return them and give them back, because it's not like returning a bicycle that doesn't fit anymore, um, look for some solutions to maybe keep you and your furry guys and gals together with you. Doctor, thank you for joining us on Saturday night in such a, what I think is a very important story. Um hope you're doing well.
6: Good evening, Yona. I'm doing well myself. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, um, Doctor. Um, the concept of an animal, uh, in particular, let's talk about dogs because I can relate. The concept of, of of a dog who you know is at home with you all the all the time, and then all of a sudden you're off to work. Um, people say, you know, my dog has anxiety, has separation issues, and so on. Is that really a
6: thing? It is a thing, and in fact, it's probably far more complex than what many people assume. Uh, You have to remember that the word anxiety denotes the fact that there is an apprehension, something might happen. So when you talk about separation anxiety is when your dog sits next to you and thinks you might leave me alone. It's even before you left the house. It's that dog that follows you from place to place, that dog that wakes up as soon as you move and looks at you, where did you go, check on you all the time. That's what true separation anxiety is all about. It's about a dog who's afraid to be left alone before it even started. And, of course, when you leave them alone, there is another anxiety, and that's about abandonment. Will you ever come back? And beyond that, there is fear. How will I manage on my own? Uh, I think it's very important to remember, many people don't know that, that dogs are totally dependent on us for their meals, for their outings, for their exercise, for everything, and they can't cope with being left alone because they can't achieve their needs. So that creates a fairly complex situation that uh, just using your uh, prelude for this discussion is absolutely going to happen. People are going back to work, and those dogs are going to find themselves, as of nowhere, suddenly left alone. And that's going to be a serious problem for both dogs and owners.
1: Let me ask you something, just going backwards a little bit. um, uh, I I think, you know, becoming a veterinarian, a veterinary psychiatrist, so... You know, I, I do a lot of therapy. I work with psychiatrists, psychologists. It's kind of my my regular thing. You know, you get you know we get a lot of feedback from our patients. We get a lot of conversation and talk therapy and so on. Um, how do you practice with animals when it's hard for you to get you know at least any kind of verbal feedback as you would from a human? Um, are you just are you looking for signs of behaviors? Like I'm fascinated by by your practice, sir. I'm I'm just fascinated by. By, by what it is you do. Um, and I'm just curious, as how, you, how do you analyze an animal?
6: Well, in, in many ways, it's like a human psychiatrist that will deal with the nonverbal patient, those who cannot communicate effectively, such as very young children, for example. But right. you're absolutely right, we are looking for body language, and in this particular point, it's important to remember that all owners, including myself, and I know it's a mistake, and yet I engage with it all the time, because we are human, we tend to humanize our pets. We tend to look at them ah, and have many kinds right. of human properties, also right. known as anthropomorphism. Okay. And that actually creates a lot of problems. We think that they're doing something as a human, as in giving us kisses, or they, we come home and find the, whole, the dog destroyed things in the house. And some people may assume the dog did it out of spite. And then when the dog acts in a certain way, they assume the dog shows guilt or remorse. And the interpretation is often wrong. So dogs don't do things for spite. And when we see them acting remorseful, say we came home and the dog sold in the house, it's usually fear, fear of the consequence because suddenly we raise our voices, we act differently, and the uh... dog is afraid of us. So we sometimes, without malice there, but we add more to the problem. It's important to remember that the dog cannot go out and soil when they need to unless we open the door for them. And if we left them at home all day and we come home and the dog sold in the house and now we reprimand the dog for it, the dog is afraid of us, which also adds more frustration because the dog knows it's going to happen tomorrow. So,
1: so, for example, like, so, I can tell you that we have a little, you know, we keep track of our little guy. I got Siggy. He's a half Bichon, half Papillon. He's about seven pounds of the most delicious little dog you've ever seen. Uh, he actually looks like a little Chabadnik, and I know you know what that that is. Uh, he's black and white. He's perfect. Um, but he, you know, when we're gone, it appears that he crawls into a part- a part of my my area where I keep my clothes and stuff and sleeps there till we return, so he seems to be relatively okay when we're not home, but he's exactly the one following me and you know looking for me and sleeping with us and all that stuff, and I'm constantly looking at you know what he's doing, but people who have pets that maybe got the pets during the pandemic and they're now going to go back to you know their seven eight nine ten hour days. And not thinking that the, you know that the pet's going to miss them, um, what can they do? So we understand the behaviors. We know you know what. What can you do as a as a pet owner um, to kind of mitigate uh, your your pet's um, separation anxiety and fears?
6: Allow me for a second to go back to your comment about your own dog and your previous question about how do you read the dog. It's really important to notice that there are two magnitudes or two directions of behavior. There is the dog who becomes more active when there is a problem, and then there is a dog who becomes more inhibited when there is a problem. Uh... And it's sometimes very easy to miss, especially with separation-related problems. It's very easy to miss the dog who become inactive. It's very easy to see those dogs where you come home and they howl and bark and destroy or soil things. And you miss those dogs that sat all day in front of the door, not eating, not drinking, not actually sleeping. And you can't even see that sometimes on a camera because all you see is a dog who's laying down. You don't actually know if the dog is sleeping. So one of the things I ask owners, for example, and you can try it with your own dog. If you give your dog something your dog really likes to chew or eat, say, a Kong toy with some peanut butter inside or a bone or a rawhide, Mm -hmm. Yep. And you say, when I'm at home and I give that to my dog, my dog eats that happily. When I leave the house and I leave my dog with it, it stays there in full until I come home. Then my dog comes to greet me and then he goes to eat. That tells you your dog was inhibited when you were not at home. Your dog wasn't happy about it. Your dog didn't cope that well with it. It just became inhibited, almost like a deer in a headlight. So what do you, you do?
1: so what do you do? So what do what do you do to, to you know what do you do for people that are going to be leaving their homes and leaving you know now I'm feeling horrible every time I leave thinking that <laughs> Siggy's probably miserable so you know I got enough Jewish guilt for for, for an army anyway but yeah. Um, yeah so so what what can we do what can we do as as pet owners as, to uh, as parents pet parents furry parents whatever people call it um, what do you do to make sure that your dog doesn't feel like that
6: well I think the most important part is to start planning now, start working on it now while we are still at home, not fully going back to work, or there is another person from the family staying at home, and start planning. And the idea is to teach the dog to become more independent. But when you do so, you have to think that the dog has five basic needs. They need to eat, sleep, exercise, relieve themselves, and have social interaction with us as owners. Dog gravitate towards people, they need people. So well, that's one thing. The second thing that you need to identify is who is the dog's attachment figure. In a dog's life, there are two individuals. The caregiver is the one that we as owners designate to play with the dog, walk the dog, feed the dog, and so on. And the attachment figure is the one the dog prefers to be with. And it could be the same person who fulfills both roles, or it could be a different person. But the whole separation revolves around the attachment figure. I cannot be with that person. So the idea is that the person should start meeting the dog's needs on a set routine. Plan your routine in the future. And if you know you're going to be away from 8 o'clock in the morning until, say, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, what you need to do is even now when you're at home, start planning. That means around 7.30, I need to take my dog for a walk. I need to feed it. Sorry, I need to play with it. I need to give it some affection. And then I need to leave it with some food and even a little bit of an extra tasty food to keep the dog's attention occupied and then start leaving it at long. Now, since you're not really in a need to go to work, start with short periods. Don't leave the house for six hours. Live for 10 minutes, five minutes perhaps, and then slowly build your dog's resilience, if you'd like, or independence to stay alone. It's ideal to have a set place for the dog, a bedroom, a even a a bed in the living room somewhere where your dog knows this is my place to go and that's where you give your dog its food and i tend to give a lot of bones or rawhides or toys, and i tether those in that area so the dog cannot take it and follow me elsewhere so i give the dog incentives to stay to stay in one place and slowly develop positive associations but the idea is to slowly build the dog's ability to stay alone and the other thing is to try and identify
1: when you'll starts reacting, the S- action. Saji, Saji, I hate to cut you off. I'm getting the notice that we're going to go to news here. Um, I, it, great to have you on. Can we have you back again?
6: In the future, yes, maybe a little that bit would, That would be
1: nice. <laughs> okay, we'll get you on for the 9 o'clock segment. Uh, I'm talking to Saji, uh, Saji Denenberg. He's a veterinary psychiatrist. You can reach him at 905-881-2752. A great guy. Just wish we had more time, and I wish him a Shonatov. Happy New Year. Thank you all for listening to us tonight. We'll see you next Saturday night. I'm running over. I'm probably going to lose my job for it, but uh, love you guys. Have a great week. Be safe. Hug the one you're with, and just remember there's nothing wrong with saying, I love you, and you're my best friend. See you soon.